ever will be. And you know it. With the tears in my eyes. The king is back, baby. Acknowledge me. Everybody, it is episode 306 of Top Rope Nation. I will tell you the format for this show has changed considerably over the last couple of days. It's going to be an interesting one. Uh, certainly not the happiest times in pro wrestling here as we go on the air Thursday night, August 24th. Uh, a lot to talk to. Some of it fun. A lot of it not so fun, but we're hoping that we can join all of you in remembering the careers of, you know, one of the all-time greatest wrestlers who we lost this week, and also one of the biggest stars of the modern era. So, of course, just a couple of hours ago, we got word that, unfortunately, uh, Bray Wyatt has passed away, Wyndham Rotunda, at the age of 36 years old. So tragic. Four children a young family, a wife, and it's really just hard to put into words, you know, the emotions that we're feeling right now. Um, you know, this is a guy who on the podcast we've talked a lot about over the years, some of it negative, some of it positive, but that's just wrestling, you know, that's entertainment. And when it comes to the life of someone like this, especially thinking about those young kids, this is just ultimate tragedy. Uh, we just got word Sean Ross Sapp put out that it was a heart attack. Um, he had been having health problems ever since getting COVID, which makes this, you know, very scary. And uh, it's one of those long-term complications of that scenarios. And so with that being said, not, not super jazzed to be talking in front of the camera tonight, but we wanted to be here, you know, for our listeners and to, you know, just talk about all of it. So as always, I'm Ryan Drosty and I am joined by the whole gang tonight here with Justin Joint and Jesse Velasquez. Jesse, how are you doing, sir? Okay. I suppose if I could be honest, I had joked a little bit off air. I was going to say, what's going on, bruvs? But I'll just, there you go. I just said it. Uh, yeah, a little melancholy at the moment and two thirds of this uh, criteria was not on my format sheet, Ryan. So well, just looking forward to hopefully a little bit of listenership help tonight would be lovely. That's for sure. Yes. If you are joining us live, we wouldn't love it if you would you know, share some of your memories of of Bray Wyatt and, of course, Terry Funk. We're going to talk a lot about tonight as well. And at the end of the show, we'll get into some of our thoughts on this weekend and hopefully pick up the mood a little bit as we try to prepare for AEW All In, the biggest show audience-wise, in the history of professional wrestling. So hopefully we can go out on a positive note tonight. Justin Joint, how are you doing? Sad, man. Um, but also thankful for, you know, the community or, you know, the group that we have here with Top Rope Nation because, you know, it's times like these. I've dealt with losing dear friends before and in in those times you, you turn to your family and that's that's what we're going to do now is you know we're turning to our family and that's our wrestling family in this case uh and it's good to talk about it and to know that you have people that you can talk about it with that you can reach out to um in this case i'd be talking about you know our 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 group not just our patreons but any anybody involved with top rope nation um talk to us you know 
Yeah. Well said. Well said. We've got such a great tight knit, but also large community with the podcast that has developed over the last few years. And I mean, a lot of conversation going on already over in the Facebook group um, about both the, I mean, all week we've been talking about Terry Funk, Mm -hmm. you know, and then of course, Bray Wyatt here in the last few hours. Um, So I, I guess, you know, since it's fresh, we can, we can start with Bray. And I'm obviously, as I said, the show opened, nobody could have expected this coming. We were uh, expecting him to return to WWE. There was a lot of signs that they were working on something. You know, we had heard that he had had some health problems, but he was trying to get back into shape to return. And um, man, again, it's just you think about the history of the Wyatt family. I mean, that was, you know, it comes to mind right away. Brody Lee tragically losing him a couple of years ago now bray and i mean just like that something that was so recent rowan's the only one left i mean you can't even put into words the sadness that that brings about thinking about that you know yeah it's it's, we don't know these guys personally we're fans but when you see these people on tv so much every time you lose one of these guys you know it hurts a lot and uh you think back to those good memories and i i was such a fan of the wyatt family as it started you know, when they had that kind of cult backwoods gimmick and when Bray would come out with the, the lantern and everything. We've said this many times on the podcast, but I always felt that they dropped the ball on him so much. Like every time he would get close, they pulled the rug out from under him. And no matter what you thought of The Fiend and, you know, listeners of this podcast know we were not big fans of The Fiend. Our former co-host really was not a big fan of The Fiend here on Tom Probe Nation. But we were all critical of it. Um, I think when it started, we liked it, but we all acknowledged it was going to be hard to maintain the momentum with that type of a character, and it proved to be. Um, but he was a creative guy. Bray Wyatt was a very creative guy. Everyone he worked with says that. You see all the tributes pouring in right now online, and I'm sure he could have come up with yet again something new to try to overcome that writer's room at WWE and, and try to break through. But I think ultimately my thoughts are, that initial gimmick that he had, you know, coming up from NXT, that was that was the one. That was the one where he had the best chance, you know, to remain a main event. He was a main eventer at different times in his career, but to remain at that level uh, moving forward. What do you think, Jesse? Absolutely. Bar none is his best gimmick. I mean, made you forget about Husky Harris in a hurry, didn't it? Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Yeah, it's been a very melancholy week. So far, I truly believe this weekend's going to turn it around, but let's go back to Bray Wyatt here. I mean, you guys aren't the only ones that have been hypercritical of Bray Wyatt, the character, I think over the last few years, just kind of feel, I mean, at the end of the day, these performers, they're all humans too. And I think you nailed it right away, Ryan, is that we're all fathers and leaving behind four children, a wife, 36 years old. My brother just turned 36 as well a couple of months ago. He has two kids. We all have kids. That, to me, is very hard. It's just now Bray Wyatt's family needs us. They need the community to rally around him, support them to the best of their abilities and just show that, hey, we appreciated who you were, what you did. We don't, we, obviously, we don't know you extremely well, like, like a personal relationship perspective, yet we respect 
the entertainment value that you gave us over the course of the decade, your family has given us as well. So I guess there really isn't much more at the moment I have to say. Like I said, I just thoughts and prayers, please go out to wife and children. That, that's what's most important this time. That's that's the double punch of this thing, you know, talking about Terry Funk and going back to Brody Lee, universally loved by not just their fans, you know, but their peers. And, and you see that with Bray Wyatt, you know, you never heard anybody talking shit about any of these guys. I mean, they were all upstanding uh, obviously we didn't, we didn't know them, but from everything you read and boy, you talk about wrestling dirt sheets, the, the shit will come out if there is shit there. And in this case, you know, you never heard anything. It was just a top notch human being. Um, same goes for, for Terry Funk, right? People that always had time for their fans, you know, and I go, I thinking about Bray Wyatt, uh, going back to that first, I think it was that first promo when he, when he came back after all the white rabbit stuff when he, you know, he said he he's here as, uh, he didn't say this, but he insinuated I I'm here as, you know, Wyndham right now, not, not Bray Wyatt. And I, I am, you know, encourage anybody to go back and watch that where, you know, at his lowest, he, you know, he thanked the fans for, you know, picking him back up. Mm-hmm. So that, that was really the first thing that I really noticed about, you know, what everybody was talking about with the loss was just a beloved human being more so than anything to do with, you know, his wrestling career. Um, but we are a wrestling podcast and I would like to talk a little bit about the, the wrestling here with, with Bray Wyatt, Ryan, you alluded to it. And, uh, the thing that comes to mind with Bray Wyatt is, is dropping the ball. Unfortunately, and I'm not talking about Bray Wyatt dropping the ball. I'm talking about WWE. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is an all time. What if guy you, you think about just his initial initial trajectory going into WrestleMania 30 against John Cena and he loses. And then, and then after that, they start doing the silly shenanigans with like, the steel cage match and there's a child singing in the ring uh to just you know for the distraction um weird stuff like that but even beyond that uh, a year later building them back up they have them lose to undertaker at 31 you know the the stuff with randy orton at wrestlemania 33 that to me should have been a story where bray wyatt was the baby face uh and it should have been him embracing just his own humanity not the the spooky stuff you know uh the hell in a cell as the fiend i just an all-time bad booking decision by wwe once again going back to what ryan said i freaking loved the fiend when it first started i'm sorry but his debut at SummerSlam is an all-timer for me Mm -hmm. just an incredible fucking entrance uh, electric uh and then the one other time i think you know the, the the what if that i think slips through the cracks and is kind of saved by a top five greatest wrestling pro wrestling gif of all time is 
his very brief babyface partnership with Roman Reigns in early 2016, right after WrestleMania. He unfortunately got hurt days later. But that that gif is, you know, he gets the pin after the sister Abigail and Sheamus is about to attack him or break up the pin. And he just, without even looking, just points. And here comes Roman Reigns out of nowhere with the spear. Just chef's kiss, beautiful fucking moment. Um, <laughs> but that, you know, that's the thing with uh, Bray Wyatt. You know, I, I, a lot of people will criticize the the in-ring work and, and some of the over-the-top spooky stuff, which is, I think, rightfully criticized. I think he's also going to be as close as we may ever come to having the next Undertaker, which is yeah. it's, it's weird to me that WWE blew that because they were just so close to it. Um, but just uh, him and Terry Funk, just absolute, you know, unique and beautiful snowflakes as far as this wrestling industry is concerned. Uh, unafraid to take chances at uh, number one. Yeah. Um, I don't know, guys. I'm at this point. I'm just kind of rambling, uh, trying to trying to get all oh, these good. Bray good. Wyatt, you know, thoughts. I'll throw one in Ryan before I'll let you have the mic. And I'm kicking myself definitely now for not going to this. Elimination Chamber was in my backyard in 2014. The final pay per view before the network, and you got the Shield versus the Wyatts, mm. the very first six man, and how incredible that was. And there were seven of us in our living room just watching this and we could literally we felt the goosebumps we felt the electricity it pro wrestling magic at its absolute finest that to me is still gonna that's gonna easily be my favorite bray wyatt match ever not even close was that initial six man yeah uh chad is really posting a lot of good stuff here so if you guys are on our video stream Make sure to check out the chat and chime in with uh, your memories of Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk as we move forward. I think I have uploaded the GIF that you're talking about, Justin. Let me see if this plays on the stream. Beautiful. That's Just fantastic. Just yeah. I hope that doesn't get copyrighted, but it's a GIF, so hopefully it'll be all right. It's less than seven seconds. Fair use. Come on. Uh, I mean, yeah, he, fantastic he, stuff. He just he wasn't a perfect pro wrestler, but. God damn, was he unique and special. You know, I mean, he kicked off, you know, once the pandemic started and we're looking at, you know, a crowdless WrestleMania 36 and him and John Cena to me saved it with mm -hmm. that, uh, the Firefly Funhouse match. That, I mean, that was a, a work of art, just top notch stuff from those guys. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned one of the greatest what ifs. I saw our guy Derek Trappel here is in the chat, and uh, he said the exact same thing to me earlier today or tonight. He texted me and he said, I think that Bray Wyatt is one of the biggest what ifs in wrestling history, just like you said, Justin. And Derek said in the chat that um, Bray Wyatt should have been the one to end the streak. And I remember a lot of people felt that way at the time because you said, you know, closest to The Undertaker, and a lot of people were thinking, like, he seemed like the natural successor to taker and taking that mantle and i mean obviously would have put him over in a much bigger way than anything we saw happen in, in the years after that and and what happened at 30 for him so yeah. especially well, having brock over the year before and then it's like okay the mystique of wrestlemania is kind of gone break mm -hmm. and now give him the victory he's an up-and-comer the 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 chance to right a wrong from the year before which you mentioned justin with cena as well 30 yeah. The the worst part about 
I mean, I get, I'm not going to say the worst part. Um, I, it worked out with uh, Lesnar breaking the streak, but the weird thing, you know, about him possibly being the next undertaker is they dropped the ball twice more. Like I said earlier at WrestleMania 31, why did undertaker need to win that one? You know, and then the uh, Survivor Series 25th anniversary, where it was, was that Undertaker and Kane versus Bray and uh, Brody Lee? Mm. Once again, they had to lose yeah. and they had to look like fools. Like, that's like every time he was on the upswing, mostly booking, sometimes injury, something just cut the momentum right from underneath him. And, he, he like yeah, like I said, he's just always going to be a, a giant what if for me. And even even as a giant what if, still an all time great. You can't take that away from him in such a short career. It's like even the stuff that people dislike, and I, I don't blame them for with how hokey and cheesy some of it. But the one thing you can say watching it was Bray believed in it. Wyndham Rotunda believed in what he was doing. Uh, you talk about pro wrestling acting. In that he excelled at that mm-hmm. stuff that had never been done before from a mm-hmm. character Bray Wyatt in the originality the creativity yes scale of one to ten it's definitely at a perfect ten I mean you can't get any more creative nowadays than what he was trying to do and that's something I think that's gone in pro wrestling and something we haven't seen in a long, long time is an original character that can really open our eyes and draw us to television screens. And I definitely, truly believe Bray Wyatt had that gift. He did an amazing job for that decade from 13 until early 23. An absolute yeah. humper of an uh, entrance music, too, of which oh. he picked out of like the whatever. What I don't remember what they call it, but it's the list of free music that you can the, pick from and and he came across that one and boy what a just a perfect <laughs> choice on his part yes yeah. yeah even the code orange version with the fiend yeah, i enjoyed absolutely. that too i actually had it on my uh, workout playlist for about a month or so before i was like all right heard it enough it's good stuff i remember i remember that SummerSlam show justin um around that time when the fiend started, we like raved about the theme song and the presentation. Yes. We were so into, I think when our award show we did that year, we were like best theme song in wrestling. I think it won for our pod that year, but yeah, we were always skeptical of, you know, how long it could last and they would have to adapt to this character and they creative just didn't felt like they continued the funhouse stuff way too long. And, it and, and they overpowered the fiend too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They made it to a point where, yeah, he was just too powerful. You're right. But uh, yeah, I mean, hey, look, still the last man to have held that blue championship belt, right? The Romans had for over a thousand days. Mm-hmm. He had it right before Roman. So, I, I mean, wow. yeah. Coming up on the anniversary of that title change. It's here Come August, back. I believe, the 30th, which, I mean, we'll get into it later. But SummerSlam was the week before and Payback was the following week. Mm-hmm. By the way... It was really cool. I the one thing I will never forget about that entrance was they showed like the WWE backstage. They had some of the performers were in this room watching these pay-per-views and Johnny Gargano had this like 8-year-old I'm watching greatness in front of me. Like this is why I grew, this is how I grew up in pro wrestling. This is why I loved it. And that was Bray Wyatt's entrance. Yeah. That was a phenomenal moment mm-hmm. to me. I agree. 
I don't really have anything more to add on Brian unless you guys do. I mean, it's uh, Tim chiming in the chat. Yeah, he was at that Wyatt Shield match that you referenced. Jesse, I remember he made. I don't know why I didn't go to that with him. I had I had something going on. I wish I wish I would have. I mean, I saw Bray a number of times in person, but that would have been the match to see. Yeah. I, it's just it's so fresh i haven't really had enough time to totally collect my thoughts but i hope in the last 15 plus minutes i mean it seems like we just started talking about it. we've been going over 15 minutes we've kind of at least done some rapid reaction to this horrible news and in, in talking about bray so unless you guys have any more we got to jump to another loss this week in wrestling anything else you want to say about bray justin no just one of a kind and no matter how you criticize the pro wrestling part of him just his his connection to his fans was uh undeniable yeah so we lose bray wyatt today august 24th and now it seems like it was a week ago but it was yesterday that we lost terry funk one of the greatest of all time was that seriously yesterday i believe so yeah god (sighs) <sighs> insane right august 20 yeah august 23rd it's just uh man we were just we obviously top rope nation classics over on patreon the show we just did great american bash 89 just talked a lot about terry funk from that main event and uh talking off air before we went live tonight um, a few years ago march of 2020 he's in the chat right now uh we had Derek Chappelle on and we did a watch along classics episode and also just talked about Memphis wrestling uh, to the very famous empty arena match with uh, Jerry Lawler and Terry Funk back from 1981. So if you never heard that, it's in the Patreon archives as well. That was a really, really fun show. Uh, so, I mean, lots of Terry Funk discussion has happened on the show over the years and uh, lots of discussion going on in the Facebook group over the last 24 to 48 hours on him. and. I think we, you know, we kind of said this on, if I remember right, on the Patreon show, but like just such a believable pro wrestler, <laughs> Terry Funk. When you would, when you would watch this man wrestle, you would swear it was all real. You know, that's the thing that I take away from Terry Funk. I mean, this guy could do everything early in his career, technical wrestler, you know, wrestling alongside Dory Jr., his brother, um, you know, went over to Japan. He could brawl. He could wrestle technical oh, again with Flair if he needed to, or he could have great brawls with Ric Flair. Uh, I mean, the, the constant theme with Terry Funk is constantly reinventing himself and changing with the times. Yeah, he was. He wasn't one of those old guys that was like totally stuck in his ways. This is a man who would adapt even into his sixties with what was hot in pro wrestling and be like, all right. I'm going to do that now then. I mean, technical wrestling, old school, brawling. Uh, then you get into the 90s, as Tim mentioned in the chat, you know, the hardcore matches in Japan. You know, there's a whole generation of fans who just grew up with him as the hardcore icon when, I mean, early in his career, that was not the case. You know, he was from this great wrestling family out of Texas who could just match a hold for hold if he needed to, who was the NWA world champion for 40, 14 months. You know, there's a lot of fans had no idea this guy was champion of the world in the 1970s. 
Uh, so I'm wearing this ECW shirt tonight because of Terry Funk because he was so instrumental in establishing ECW as a national brand in the mid 90s. You know, at this point in time, he is 50 years old. He's becoming ECW world champion. He's wrestling in some of the craziest hardcore matches the United States had ever seen, you know, with the barbed wire matches or the match that you mentioned off air, Jesse, with the, uh, the chairs being thrown into the ring at these guys. I mean, he was the guy that ECW needed to succeed, and he would always lend a hand to anybody, whether if you know they needed his star power to draw or if they just wanted his help, he would go out of out of his way to help you out, you know, and um, man, it's just such a loss for the industry, just an all time legend who I think his reputation will just continue to grow, you know, in the aftermath of his death, even though he was a legend in his own time. This is a guy who thought he wasn't a legend and that he wouldn't be remembered, which is just insane to think that. But sometimes the greatest think that about themselves for whatever reason. They have imposter syndrome, I guess. But Terry Funk, truly one of the greatest of all time. Dynamic, so much success over multiple decades, a real athlete before he got into pro wrestling, you know, legit football star coming out of Amarillo, Texas. Um, he was a college football star as well. He married his uh I can't even say high school sweetheart. I believe they met in sixth grade, his wife. And then they split up at one time, I believe when he was world champion. Mm -hmm. He was on the road so much. I read the story. Yeah. And then, then they got back together. Right. So like he basically quit wrestling to go win the love of his life back. Yeah. Terry Funk forever. Everybody. Yeah. Meltzer wrote about this in a, in a little piece on the observer because he's, uh, you know, traveling as all this is happening. One of the few weeks Dave's not putting out an observer and uh, he's traveling over to England for all in. But when he comes back, if you've never subscribed to the observer before, you should subscribe just for the Terry Funk bio because it is going to be unreal because Dave and Terry were really tight. So he's going to have all I mean, I don't know how many pages this thing's going to be, but it is it's going to be a must read. But uh, I mean, yeah, he was. I was just going to say about his background. So he goes to West Texas State University as an offensive lineman down there. I think he rotated between being a guard and a tackle and uh, not quite good enough for the NFL, but legit enough, you know, to know that this is a dude you don't want to mess with. Um, His father, Dory Funk, who was promoting the Western States territory and then who tragically died pretty young of a heart attack in the early 1973, I believe. Um, he was known, you know, for protecting the business at all costs and he would fight people that would challenge him and say wrestling is, is fake. And then Terry did the same thing, but Terry was also known for just being a sweetheart behind the scenes. Um, I wrote about this in the Facebook group, but I did have a chance to meet him once. And if I, as I look up on my wall right here in my office, I have a picture of myself standing between DiBiase and Funk in 2006. And I was covering that show for, um, (laughs) yeah myself <laughs> Terry. two out of three ain't bad <laughs> <laughs> and uh so i go down there it's 2006 i've been covering wrestling for a little bit about four or five years and this is before the trago Thez hall of fame moved to waterloo where justin and i live it was in uh, newton iowa at that time and i mostly went i mean I can't remember how far in advance I knew Terry was going to be there, but I knew Bret Hart was going to be there. So I had to go and I applied for a media pass and I got the media pass. I posted this picture on social media. You can kind of read that I'm wearing this name tag that says media. 
Um, but I, this was so long ago. I can't remember. He said something funny as I walked up to his table about my, ta- my tag. And then I remember like that museum was hot as hell that day. And right now the Midwest is experiencing this horrible heat wave. It was 105 degrees as I drove home from work today, not counting humidity, which makes it hotter feeling than that. And I remember that day it was scorching hot and we're in this museum in Newton and there's no air conditioning. I'm just, you can even tell in the picture I'm sweaty and just drenched in sweat. But I do remember walking around there a little bit and I talked a lot to uh, Charlie Thez, Lou's widow that day. And Terry came over and I talked with him a little bit and I kind of remember like walking around the museum next to him. And I wish I would have done like an official interview with him or something, but so early in my wrestling media coverage that I had never done anything in person like that, at least. So it was kind of a lost opportunity, but I got to hang out with him a little bit and he was super nice. Like one of the most approachable wrestlers I've ever been around just made you feel like you were friends instantly. When you would see this guy on TV <laughs> doing those wild eyed promos like he did with Flair when he had that feud with Flair in 89, especially that we watched recently, you, you would not believe it was the same guy. You know, his kind of screechy southern drawl voice that he had, like that's how he was in person, but very kind of soft spoken in person. And uh, yeah, such a nice guy. I mean, we can go on and on about his career, but um, like I said, kind of started out tag teaming with his brother, Dory Jr. And, uh, you know, in Texas, they'd go over to Florida, eventually go to Japan and they're wrestling for all Japan. And when they were in all Japan, they really helped like legitimize that promotion, you know, competing with New Japan. Um, and eventually, like they go over there and there were heels. But then when they worked this match, I believe in Tokyo with the Sheik and Abdullah the Butcher, it kind of transformed them into beloved baby faces, given their opponents. And after that, it's argued there's never been a more popular uh, foreign wrestler in Japan than Terry Funk. He was like a god over there. And had so much success. I mean, the match, the tag team matches him and Dory Jr. had with Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen. Those are ones you should definitely check out. Very like transformational when it comes to international wrestling. And then, you know, as I said, NWA world champion, mid-1970s. He won the title from Jack Briscoe in 75, lost it to Harley Race. I believe it was the second time Harley had been champion. And, uh... Yeah, I mean, you go into the 80s, he had really memorable matches with Dusty, of course, with Lawler, who I mentioned, um, Tully Blanchard, Flair, of course. He was he was briefly in the WWF in the mid-80s. Him and Hogan worked on Saturday night's main event. Um, did, I always felt like he felt kind of out of place in the WWF, at least in that era. What do you, Jesse, you're nodding. Big time. I was going to mention that kind of towards the end of where I was going to go. You hit on a lot of them, Ryan, so thank you so much for... Uh, no, that was an awesome, awesome job with Terry Funk in early parts of his career because, yeah, Japan is where he made his name. The Probably the top gaijin for a while, top foreigner, of course, mm-hmm. like the Brody and the Hansons. What I found ironic, it was really strange, was he didn't hold a championship from 1982 to 1992. He didn't, he didn't win a belt for a decade. Yeah. Hmm. Unbelievable. Yeah. No, But Vince, again, like... He didn't book Terry Funk very well at all. It's just kind of reminiscent to like what he did with Sting later on, and just Flair's about the only person I believe that has actually been booked very well coming from the rival promotion. I'd say just a handful of things real quick because you did a great job with that. 
funk in the, I mean, obviously the early nineties started ECW and his Eastern championship wrestling tremendous matches with cactus jack the fmw work and the iwa like the king of the death match stuff which by the way the the eddie kingston john moxley revolution 2021 gone wrong if you want to watch it go right take a look at the end of the atsushi onita terry funk Mm -hmm. fmw i believe it was the king of the death match finals you can find the final two minutes of it on youtube and how an exploding barbed wire angle is well done that was the first one ever, wasn't it? It was like 93. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible stuff. Go back and go, go out of your way to see that on YouTube for sure. Onita, Terry Funk, FMW, Exploding Barbed Wire Ring. You, Sabu, he had the match with Sabu at Born to be Wired in August of 97, which is, to me, the most gruesome mm, like, yeah. normal independent match or like normal big three match that I've ever seen. Sabu cutting open his bicep. Yep. Insane. Both of them tangled at the end of the match in just, I'm talking. Cut out. Yeah. Yeah. 10 to 15 feet feet worth of a barbed wire around them. It was unbelievable. And I've been going through 1998 a lot. And he's been featured in the WWF quite a bit. So this time around actually got a little better with, with the chainsaw Charlie gimmick, which is really weird, but go out of your way to watch his match with Mick Foley. It was a dude love back then. It was April 28th of 1998 falls count anywhere. Match with Pat Patterson is the referee. Awesome mm-hmm. stuff. You'll get to see him execute a moonsault off the guardrail. Pretty sweet there. <laughs> and I'd say my favorite moment so far of watching 1998 Terry Funk was when they won the dumpster match at the, or the WWF Tag Team Championships at WrestleMania 14. They closed the lid, and he's literally headbutting it, headbutting it as he shut the, shut the door. He goes, I got him, you son of a bitch. I got him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I literally just gut laugh for a good 30 seconds. But that just, again, shows... The depth of the character of of Terry Funk, he made you believe, as Ryan said, that pro wrestling's real. Loved him. Yeah. One of my favorite brawlers just of all time. And like we saw in Hollywood too. It's a guy that was in some some big movies. Roadhouse, over the top. He uh he's the guy that choreographed the fight. And I mean, Rocky Five's not a particularly uh <laughs> a particular favorite of the Rocky series, but that, that final scene with Stallone and Tommy Gunn fighting Terry Funk's the guy who scripted that him and Sly Stallone were really close. I think Stallone put out a statement on his death. Um, last night, I believe I saw that. So, I mean, well connected could have success in Hollywood too. Go ahead, Justin. I mean, anytime, uh, a wrestler dies and a big portion of not just, people in the industry but people outside of it say best wrestler ever you kind of you kind of have to take that at face value and at least uh, seriously analyze that because some of the best who have ever done it are going to tell you that terry funk is the best to have ever done it arguably the most complete wrestler when you talk about you know what 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 was bret hart's five things that you know to talk about a wrestler i can't remember what they are at the moment but like terry funk's at the fucking top at at almost all of those uh 
As Ryan already said, his talent was beyond eras. You could almost pluck any era of Terry Funk and just toss him into another one, and he would find success. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and almost most importantly to me, wasn't afraid to be silly. Wasn't afraid to have fun in, in the ring. There's a, a video going around of a match between him and Martel where he gets you know, nutted on the top rope and he does quite the, my balls hurt strut on the outside. And he's, he's pulling his trunks to take a look at him and it's like making sure his, his, his twigging berries are okay. And just, he had fun. I, I think is the most important thing is just his love for this business was very apparent. Uh, one of the best to ever do it. Bret Hart's criteria, look, work rate, and promo. I mean, look, on those three things, your look, your work rate, and your promo, he's like a 10 out of 10 in all of them, is he not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's in that discussion. I mean, if you take people in the business, and their opinion matters more than anybody, his his comrades in the locker room, and when they're all telling you he's one of the best to have ever done it, I mean, he's in that conversation. No question about it. Uh, Sean Sam, I forgot about him in Roadhouse. Yes. Yeah, go Freddie ahead. Kingston, very passionate about the fact that Terry Funk is the greatest professional wrestler that ever lived. Mm-hmm. I mean, he'll yeah. definitely fight you to death on that one. I remember the, the scene with him and Stallone and over the top when he when he threw him into the sugar glass. At least I'm assuming it was sugar glass. So yeah. <laughs> now Jack Perry was in charge on that one. He said no sugar <laughs> glass. Uh, yeah. Oh, over the top was a guilty pleasure of mine. So I guess that's really interesting that he had a really good relationship with Sylvester Stallone. And it makes sense because he was semi-retired for the first time here, maybe second time. Did that about six or seven more times, Terry, Terry Funk. That just goes <laughs> to show that his love for the business was so much that he retired about eight or nine times. And then I just recently saw a promo of his with the former Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, before their the WrestleMania match that he had with Brock Lesnar where he gave him the chainsaw. Mm. Ah, and just yeah. the believability in the promo and Terry Funk there at the age of, I would assume, was like in his high 60s, low 70s. You you kind of would have been apt to want to see him wrestle a match in about a week or two after you saw that promo. Go back and see it. It was kind of a cool, Jim. <laughs> there's there's a fun clip uh, going around online. I, I read the book, but I'd kind of forgotten about it. But there's people sharing audio of John Moxley reading his his book, and it's about Triple H is criticizing. I think the way he sells in the ring, it's like are you going to go around running in circles doing the Homer Simpson, like Terry Funk and, and John Mox is like, Terry Funk fucking rules. What are you talking about? <laughs> are you fucking dumb? Yeah. Like, of course, why would I not try to do the Terry Funk? <sighs> yeah. I mean, again, he always, to me, he always kind of fell out of his element in WWF. Like it's almost like Terry Funk was too real, like too legit the wwf i don't know i don't know like he was a, he was an established guy when he came in but yeah he, was, he had the hogan stuff so that was fine but there was other times where like they were gonna bring him in and he kind of dipped out or he wasn't really in like he was gonna be one of the knights at survivor series 93 yeah and he just like canceled at the last second it was like no nah, i'm not gonna do it anymore he said, I think his excuse was something about like he had something to do on his ranch, like with his sick, horse. Sick horse. Yeah. 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 So he's just like, no, nah. not, not that he was going to be doing the job. <laughs> <laughs> I 
It's like, I'm not going to be the red knight or whatever he was supposed to be. He's like, I'm, I'm good. You know? So I don't, maybe he just, he recognized it too. I mean, obviously he did this stuff in 97 and 98 and, and was around here and there, but, uh, I, I think he, he was just somebody who knew his value, who knew his talent and he wasn't going to yeah. let somebody treat him any thing less than that. Yeah. Justin, you took the, the retirement match from 97 in our Bret Hart draft. Did you not? I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. I was, was waiting great for you guys to mention that. I was like, do I have to mention it before this segment's over? Well, I mean, that's another <laughs> Hollywood piece beyond the mat, you know, played a, yeah. a key part in that movie. And you saw that for the first time there. And, uh, yeah, there's great stories about it, that retirement. Now it sounds funny, retirement, but like the retirement show he did in 97 and he had a bunch of people out to his ranch and he was grilling for everybody and fans too, not just people from the business and just a hell of a nice guy all around. Uh, I had a couple of listeners send in emails about Terry. So this is another reason nice. to be in our Facebook group. Uh, because you can get involved in the podcast I put out yesterday. If you have anything you want to share about Terry Funk, send me an email and I will read it on the air. And uh, the first one I got, our good buddy Stuart, Stuart Civiter, Nails fan. Love Stuart. Uh, Stuart writes in, normally I like to joke and have fun when it comes to wrestling, but hearing of Terry passing hit me quite hard compared to other wrestlers. He's an odd wrestler as young or old of a wrestling fan. We all love Terry and have fond memories of him, even though most of us weren't alive for his peak as a performer, yet he's so beloved. He said, my favorite bits of funk are the Flair feud, the Lawler matches and promos. Yeah, the promos with Lawler, crazy. Um, his teaming with his brother against Hanson and Brody, and his chair-swinging battle with Foley at the Rumble. That's from Stewart. I also got one here from David Finnegan. Uh, he says, hello, fellas, as slaves to moments in time, it's easy to bless someone with a goat label 10 minutes after they pass. And I'm sure over the next few days, people who haven't uttered the name Terry Funk will pile on the hyperbole. Here are some facts. It's going to sound weird, but he'll get to his point. Flair was a better promo. Hogan drew more money. Austin had a bigger peak. Angle had the Olympic amateur background. Foley was more hardcore. Bruno had more notoriety in the 70s because of New York. And hell, he probably wasn't even the best pure wrestler in his family. But Terry Funk checked every box you'd ever want in a pro wrestler. He could talk, fight, draw money, make you want to see him, had the tough guy background and could get it done in the ring. He was relevant in the wrestling world starting in the late 60s and his legacy still carries on more than 50 years later. Is he on pro wrestling's Mount Rushmore? Maybe not, but if they made a second Mount Rushmore next door, you'd have to give the Funker a long, hard look. Love Dave, Dave Finnegan with all my heart and soul. Fellow <laughs> fellow Waterloo, Iowa boy. Yeah, he's a local. So there you go. Those are our two emails we got in in the last 24 hours about Terry Funk. So I'm sure we're going to be talking about him more in the coming days in the group. So join the group, facebook.com, search Top Rope Nation pro wrestling discussion yeah i think we're gonna be doing SummerSlam 98 next week of course mm -hmm. uh, he was on the raw either the week or two before SummerSlam 98 i'm trying to remember if he even made an appearance on the pay-per-view so i hope we do get to mention him again in that capacity and for as bad as wcw 2000 and 2001 was terry funk had the some of the more entertaining segments in 
WCW Nitro history during that time frame. So go back and watch his hardcore matches. They're actually really good. Yeah. There you go. Justin, any closing thoughts on Terry before we get to all in? No, I just one of a kind. Um, I shared somebody, I can't think of the name at the moment, but I shared somebody else's uh, Twitter thread on our Facebook group of him picking out his one favorite match uh, from every year of Terry Funk's career. And I highly recommend people uh, looking that up because it's a great list. Good thread. Yeah. Yeah, it was very good. So, yeah, rest in peace, Terry. Hell of a career, all-time legend. Not going to be the last time we talk about Terry Funk on this program. I can guarantee you that. And Bray Wyatt, Bray Wyatt either for his part. So, yeah, rest in peace to both of them. Jesse? Made the spinning toll hold look believable. <laughs> yeah. Such a cool submission hold back in the, in the 70s. He, you could say, like, Mick Foley had the three faces of Foley. Funk had the three faces of Funk before he did too, though. The the technical guy, the brawler, and and the comedian. The only difference was didn't have three outfits. He definitely had two, the the long tights, but he he usually went with a kind of varsity style jacket and then trunks in the early portions of his of his career as well in Japan. So it's cool. You say you say the comedian, and isn't that one of the great things about Terry Funk? Because, you know, as a kid, you thought he was just wild and nuts. And, and then when you watch him as an adult, you're like entertained in a di- totally different way mm-hmm. watching him. Like you're laughing. And it's funny, the promos he would cut, right? Yeah. I mean, that was that was also, I was going to mention this earlier, when his brother was, was the NWA world champion, that was kind of his role, is he would go to the next territory before Dory got there. And it was terry's job to basically heat up whatever top baby face was going to challenge dory and he'd come in and like terry's psychotic and he'd be like you know his brother is the world champion but this terry funk this guy's freaking nuts and if you can beat terry funk then maybe you actually have a chance against the world champion you know and that was his job just to be nuts and go around and and get the territory ready for for his brother the world champ so uh yeah that certainly gave him believability and uh, trained him for what was to come later in his career. No doubt about it. Got one more thing. This is kind of an important nugget. It, right before they were taping a WCW Saturday night back in, I believe it was 89. So this was in the height of, uh, of Funk's popularity. He wanted to wrestle uh, in, in, in like a burgeoning independent star somebody who had not been seen on TV. So he had a dark match with Eddie Guerrero and they absolutely tore yes. the house mm-hmm. down. Terry sold for him more than what the backstage bookers and the the big wigs wanted him to. So if, if you can find that as well. So please take a list of everything we just gave you. Yeah, the Terry Funk-Eddie Guerrero match from 1989 and just the amount of offense and how great Eddie looked. It was awesome. So Great call out. Guys, I got to tell you, I mean, felt pretty bad coming on the air tonight, but this has definitely helped talking about these two. I'm, I'm in a much better mood now. So I I think I am ready to talk about All In now. <laughs> you? You guys feeling a little better, at least? Yeah, Funk would want us to talk about All In. Let's be real. So we got AEW All In, over 80,000 tickets distributed. I don't know how, I mean, they're moving a lot of tickets per day now for this show. I don't know if they're going to get close to 85 to 90 or where they're going to be, but man, I can't wait to see how this looks on TV. 
It is oh, going to be same. I, I, I got to say, that's my most uh, excited part of this entire thing is what is this going to look like? What is it going to sound like? Yeah, are, is the crowd going to bring it? Uh, even more so than the ho hum build to the show, which is kind mm-hmm. of a staple of AEW shows these days. I just want to see a promotion other than WWE slash WWF put on a show in a giant stadium. I, I as a wrestling fan, I could not understand how you could not be excited for that. How you could not not be excited for that. The yeah. crowd, they're going to be the stars of this whole show. Yes. I'm, I'm I will put a 100% guarantee on that. Um, per WrestleTix, per WrestleTix, they have a setup for 85291 right now. Uh, there's 4400 tickets available as of yesterday. Uh, the estimate paid is 74.5, but they've distributed about 81,000 tickets. Uh, the total setup that they could fit if they release some of the holds that are on the map right now would be 91,871. And if they were able to sell every seat on the seating map, they could get 97,241 in there, legit. So, I mean, they're at about 81,000 now, add in a couple more days. They're, they're doing heavy advertising blitzing now over there in the last couple of days to close strong. I feel like this is one of those things where even, you know, non-wrestling fans who are sitting in the pub on, you know, the day before or something and they hear about it and like, okay, I might get a cheap ticket and go. They could do decent walk up for those upper deck cheaper tickets too. It'll be really, really interesting to see how many they pack in there. Uh, Justin, you mentioned the, the bill being so, so I totally agree. Um, last night's dynamite was decent. Mm-hmm. I thought in, in, in closing everything though. And this is what we always say about AEW. I don't know how many times three, four weeks out, what are they doing here? And then you get a week or two before the show and then they just blitz you and they get you jacked. And I think the one match that really stands out for me in that regard, going in to tomorrow night and boy, this is going to be music to Michael Jenkinson's ears is this Jericho will Osprey match because Osprey in particular was phenomenal in that mm-hmm. promo as jesse hinted at a little bit ago Agreed. i mean when you watch will osprey and again it helps that chris jericho is a legit star but osprey was just tremendous on dynamite last night and selling the match to me this harkened back to like a boxing or mma promo like you believed every word that he said he's going to be the guy who in a three month or a two month period beats Omega, Okada, and Chris Jericho. I mean, he was so intense. Jesse, you nodded immediately, too. You guys you guys are a lot more hyped for this as well, I'm guessing, Mr. Velasquez? That's what a good contract signing segment looks like. Mm-hmm. We, we talk about how it's overdone, but when it's done like that, keep doing it. The problem is, I can't believe I'm saying this, because Will Ospreay, up until... His, like the end of his junior heavyweight days into his heavyweight days was never known as a very good promo. Yeah. And then over the last couple of years, all of a sudden you're like, yep, it's taken to another level. He had a great promo with Kenny Omega before Wrestle Kingdom 17. So yeah, the hype, the hype meter has gone up a good amount for me. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I am a self-professed, like Will Ospreay is one of my favorite performers going, so I'm going to be excited to see him regardless. And I, and I get the whole Jericho thing as to why they're doing this, just because Jericho's gone through all the top talent already, or at least he's wrestled them, and Ospreay's the next guy in the list. And Jericho did a good job of that last night too, I, I truly believe. Just hyping up how he helped with Osprey's maturation and he said if you keep doing what you're doing in the junior heavyweight division you're gonna end up in a wheelchair like Hayabusa I mean that was that was some impressive stuff so mm-hmm. yeah my, my hype meter has gone up a fair amount yep. for this match Chris Jericho hammering home that this is the biggest match of his career it's bigger than any Wrestlemania match he's ever had which there's arguments that could be made against that but I mean yeah I mean Truth be told, if you want to solidify AEW, it's got to be with this show. So th- th- this is a very important match for Chris Jericho. He stopped and stuttered a little bit with his promo, but for the most part, it, it was very good. My only problem with this entire thing is I don't think it needed Don Callis at all. I think Don Callis should have been just involved with Omega and Takeshita uh, especially considering the back and forth between Jericho and Osprey in this contract signing, didn't need Callus at all, really, considering the story that they're telling. This has more to do with what this match is going to mean to their careers, not with any kind of blood, flu- blood feud. And blood feud is exactly what's kind of missing from Omega and Takeshita right now. That feels mm-hmm. kind of cold. Yeah. Also, what I really liked about the Osprey promo was that he mentioned that in six months his contract is up. So kind of mm. left that wavering thoughts in people's heads that he could make his way stateside, even though I know publicly or in interviews, he's he's pretty content living in Japan and doesn't necessarily see himself wanting to live in the U.S. That's what they all say before they end up moving to the U.S. So who Tony wins? Khan money. Who wins, Justin? I don't understand why Jericho would win this one. I think it's got to be Osprey, because you you got to get back to the Omega match. Yeah, Jesse, you're nodding. Yes, uh, I mean even the when the match was announced, you pretty much automatically knew that Will Osprey was going to be the guy. I just want him to get a very good match out of Chris Jericho. As someone alluded to in the chat, if no, I mean if there is one guy to do it right now, it's Will Osprey. I'm going to be fascinated to see the reaction to Osprey just because like yeah. a lot of the people I follow on Twitter don't like him and a lot of them are from England. So I'll be curious to see how much that translates to his reaction in England if he actually gets a big response or not. Yeah. He's an interesting story growing up too. So, I mean, he's he's pretty uneducated. He's an Essex Street kid. So I guess that kind of why he like rubs people the wrong ways in some of his prior interviews and in the past with publications. So yeah, I could, that's a a very, very good take. Just wondering how the crowd's going to react to their hometown kid, even though he's kind of playing the heel here. Yeah. Um, I did see Brandon in the chat saying he's hoping to see us in Chicago. He'll be at all four shows. Brandon's been a supporter of the pod for a long time. He's a patron. We'd love to organize a meetup. You know, have some drinks with the listeners. We did this in Vegas for uh, Double or Nothing. And if you're not a drinker, just hang out, have some food, whatever. Um, we do have a thread in the Facebook group. So 
I need to get that back to the top of the feed. So we'll, we'll be posting in there and, and try to organize something because we, we do know a lot of listeners are going to be at All Out the following weekend. So hopefully All Out will have a good card coming out of this show. That's going to be one of the, the key talking points after this because they got such a, a quick turnaround. Um, but I want to transition to another match in the card, which don't get me wrong, I am very much looking forward to the match. It is one of my top three most anticipated matches on the card. That being said, I thought the go home for this one was not great. And that was the Young Bucks and FTR. I thought that backstage segment was pretty so-so. It it, it yeah. felt that they were really trying hard to sound aggressive. Um, I didn't think FTR was particularly strong in this in particular. I think they got rattled. I think they got, I think uh, when the Bucks were talking about, when they finally talked, started talking about legacy, that the FTR's legacy was going to be directly tied to the Bucks. I think that fucking rattled FTR bald. He had no response. He seemed uncomfortable. He did. You're right. That's where he started to feel off to me. Absolutely. Cash just, looked I mean, out of it the entire interview. Well, just thank God Cash didn't brandish a gun to intimidate the young Bucks. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Heaven forbid. I mean, this one. You got to go with the Bucks. I wouldn't have said that before yes. the Cash Wheeler incident, but this this promotion cannot risk a situation where they got to vacate a big title again. They just cannot. And so the I think the Bucks have to win. You guys? Yeah, super bummed about it. Uh, three weeks ago, I would have said it has to be FTR, except for the fact that, you know, Bucks just signed a brand new contract. So that too. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't sound like they have any interest in doing trios anytime soon, understandably. So what else would you do with them? Well, I'm glad they don't want to do trios because we, I've said that the elites just wait, wasting away in that trios division. Like they made sense to start those titles out with them or try to, and then what happened happened last year. But you know, like I want Kenny Omega in the singles division and i want the young bucks in the tag team division and the the tag team division has gotten watered down largely in my view because of the trios titles yep you know i mean again acclaimed what are they doing the other hot tag team for the last couple of years they're working for the trios titles now and i'm fine with that match it's it's got a good story build for it but you know when push comes to shove i want the acclaimed in the tag team division not screwing around with the trios titles and so that's been the big problem. So I'm happy to hear that the Bucks and, you know, this cements them back in the tag team division, obviously, if they win the titles. So I'm totally fine with that. Both of these teams have newly signed contracts. FTR was in April, so they're going to be around for a while. Mm -hmm. I'm very, very, I, we mentioned now, I think you can start to see some of the, the seeds that are being planted on these episodes that they're going to, they're really trying to do a rebuild of that once vaunted tag team division with especially Aussie Open at the end last night. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I think they want them to move to AEW television permanently. So they're obviously not going to hold these ROH belts forever, but just imagine a, tag division with the two teams that are involved here you have uh lucha bros aussie open the acclaimed santana and ortiz are back i mean that's a hell of a head start on a fantastic division that was once your calling card too yes especially when ftr moved in back in 2020 mm -hmm. um sean asked in the chat 
this was a big topic a week ago. Should Cash be wrestling in this match? And, you know, we haven't touched on this on the pod because that news broke, I believe, last Friday, right after we put out the last show. And, boy, I mean, you can go either way on this. People are making assumptions right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't I mean, we don't know everything. I think it's going to be interesting to see how this case plays out. Anyone from the U.S. will tell you that, and I know, like, about a third of our listeners are overseas. So I'll just say, in the U.S., when it comes to crimes committed with guns, Florida is not exactly a uh, <laughs> not not a state that will you know come down hard on you. So, in this case, with this, I, I heard like, they gave him a first class ticket. To England, well, yeah, no, oh, brandishing a weapon, first class. <laughs> Florida man, blank. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This is going to be interesting because I don't really know how something like this can be proven unless they have like footage from a traffic camera mm-hmm. or something. You know, other than that, man, I don't know. Isn't it just going to be word versus word? And it's going to yeah. be tough to prove. Obviously, we have innocence until proven guilty in this country. So does it set, set a bad example? Yeah. I mean, this is entertainment. This is a marquee match in the biggest wrestling show of all time. What would WWE do? Do you think WWE would pull them? I don't think so. No. So I'm not going to come no. down too hard on it. I, I, I know people are going to say that that's, you can't do that. You can't justify this by what WWE would do. Maybe not. But as of right now, he doesn't have a criminal history. He hasn't been found guilty. Would I take the belt off of him? Absolutely. Yeah. Would I keep him off TV after that until we figure out what the hell is happening down there? Yes, I would. We'll see what happens. You guys Didn't have any thoughts? Working visa either, so he's yeah. obviously he's able to go overseas. Unlike a couple of people we're going to mention. Oh there, so. yes, can't get a passport in time. Come on, man, what are you doing? I think he, I think he might have lost a lot more TV time moving forward rather than just this match. Ar Fox, I ain't, not a good look. Not a good look for this guy. That was thoughts, you guys. If you're ahead, moving on to that, no, if you're moving on to that, go ahead. Cause actually, I just kind of wanted to bring that up too. Oh no, I'm, I'm not moving on. If you guys have any thoughts on the cash situation in particular, no, Justin, I don't, I don't really give a shit. I mean, I, I mostly like what he does on Twitter. He seems like a good guy. Uh, if what he did is true, that's pretty fucking shitty and stupid on his part. You just kind of hope it's a one-off, but if legally he can go fuck it go go lose your belts <laughs> yeah just anything yeah i totally agree with justin especially with a super clean record before and then i know the locker room and like all the locker rooms that he's been it's kind of similar to like a, a bray wyatt and mm-hmm. and the such that they he's really well received e- amongst even, his peers. even mjf came to his defense and there's been obvious heat between you know, him and FTR. So I think that says a lot. Yeah. But no, Bucks are winning. Yeah. Okay. So the, the, the AR Fox stuff. All right. So this match, Darby and Sting, Swerve, and now Christian Cage in the coffin match. The build to this has been kind of confusing. Uh, just all the names and moving parts and everything. And then you consider the story with, you know, Christian working Darby and then Darby working Luchasaurus at all out. And you got to kind of think, all right, how did all these pieces fit together? We did the the Dynamite post show on BR app last night, me and uh, Ben Cruz. It was like I had to 
explain to him again, like how all of this fits together and why Christian would be involved here. And all of that said, as convoluted as this build has been, this Christian Cage is fucking unbelievable. I mean, that promo he cut last night on Dynamite, so mean. I hope he had permission to say that stuff, first of all. But his delivery that he laid out for Nick Wayne about his dad. I mean, it's just horrendous stuff he's saying, but the way he delivers it just so deadpan with no emotion is just like, you don't want to laugh because it's so mean, but my God, <laughs> that promo was crazy. That, that's his gimmick coming off yeah. of his feud with, with Jack Perry. As, I know. When he came out, kind of the same thing with, as, as I was like, wait, does this make sense for him to be part of this? But then it's like they cut to to Nick Wayne. I was like, oh, oh, Christian and dead daddies. And then I started bouncing on my seat like, oh, here we go. Mm. <laughs> it was it was nuts. I did not like A.R. Fox after Swerve booted him, like automatically getting yeah. forgiven. Like that was lame booking. And OK, Darby, they got this long history, but like. What happened with Nick Wayne? Shouldn't have Nick Wayne been like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. <laughs> You're just going to forgive this guy? I'm out. So, that, that, no, that, whatever. Problem, that didn't make any sense. The problem with that is that was like a three to two week angle condensed into like 10 to five. Minutes. Yes. Yes. It would have been fine if some of that had just happened weeks ago. Yeah. That, I mean, and that's, that's kind of the entire story of the show is this all should have been drawn out like three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. That being said, Christian's on un unreal man. And I, you know, there's been the rumors out there about edge and everything. I do hope edge goes to AEW. I don't know why anyone wouldn't want to see this. I hope edge does a retirement tour and he works every match he wants to do. He doesn't owe WWE shit. These people arguing that, Oh, he's a WWE guy and he, he can't go over there. What? I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's done it all. This guy's at the end of his run. Let him do whatever he wants. If he wants to go AEW for a short run, if he wants to work Japan, you know, like whatever he wants to do, I want to see it. And I, you know, right now with Christian being a such a dirty heel, it, they wouldn't really team. You can't bring an edge as a, as a heel, but I would like to see him there eventually. I, I hope it does happen. Uh, but yeah, Christian was, Christian was the highlight for me, Jesse. One of his best friends, by the way, so it'd make it a lot easier for the recruitment standpoint as well. And he can also look to see the two legends in this match and how they've been booked in AEW and go, oh, I'm getting the superstar treatment when I get there. There's mm -hmm. zero question about that. Yeah, the AR Fox stuff was horrid. <laughs> I'll tell you, I mean, it, it, it's probably... Have they even disclosed why he's not traveling? Is it visas or what's what the relation is? Uh, AR Fox, I believe it is his passport is not coming in on time is what I heard. Got it. Yeah. So, yeah. It's like a timeline issue with being able to travel. I mean, that's just I mean, it's dumb on his part, but at the same time. AEW should have a department mm. monitoring this thing. Like, are, is everyone ready to travel overseas? Do we have all the documentation? So that's also an oversight on their part. I think he's going to be punished for this, though. Yeah. I, I mean, would be shocked if he's like written off TV totally moving forward. 
look what happened last night. That was just yeah. so weird. All of it was just bizarre to me. And what was sad about all of this is over the last month, that's been one of the better booked angles that AEW has been doing. Or one of the better stories is with mm-hmm. Swerve and AR Fox going to Nick yeah. Wayne's gym and just beating him to hell and just, oh, and Darby coming Great in stuff. there. Yeah, it was phenomenal. So it was kind of odd to see that match on a dynamite last night. Yeah. Those two, and then Sting, of course, making the appearance there. But Christian Cage, yeah, he's doing some amazing work. Sean, I, I get his his point in the chat as well because I've I've been pretty critical about them bringing in older talent, like high forties, low fifties. But if, if they're featured as kind of bit players, I mean, just kind of one off spots yeah. here and there. Yeah. I always joke that Sting must pose because he hasn't lost yet. They're going to win again on Sunday, so we have that going for him too. But hey, yeah, no, they they, they best, do a really good best, job by the the Lindgrens. Best run of Sting's career, according to Tony. <laughs> Come on, Tony. Best run of his career. What are we doing here, Tony? Uh, and my, my my last thing about all of this is uh, Nick Wayne's mom has got it going on. <laughs> i thought that last night as well i i was gonna text you guys yes yes indeed <laughs> um oh, that was a great dirty line. dogs <laughs> um yeah to sean's point I, in the chat again like yeah it is an older guy from wwe coming in i think it's fine if in the long term you use it to put over that younger talent it can only help mm-hmm. guys in the smaller company um sean also mentioned that the hardys haven't helped AEW in any way that's pretty much true, but I think Edge has a lot more in the tank than the Hardys do. Like he's just he's a better performer right now than either Hardy, like by far. Apparently Christian does too. Yeah. Jeez, <laughs> that match with Darby last Saturday night was wonderful. Yeah, I, I really liked that also. Yeah. So it's, he's a great replacement for this match. Yeah. Yeah, that being said, uh Darby and Stinger winning for sure in my view um let's uh so we picked the young bucks uh we mentioned a tag team so mjf and cole in the uh opener on zero hour against aussie open who wins that match just real quick for the record mm-hmm. I'm, go- I'm going strickland and cage oh okay i would love for that to happen i i think they need to spice it up a little bit uh throw that giant crowd off a little bit and swerve in these bigger spot situations has not had a W in a long time. Exactly. Yeah, people have been critical of that online for sure. He and, the, needs and, it. and this is building on the stuff that's going into all out. So it'd just be kind of weird if you build it by having the baby face go over. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Darby can eat the pin. Sting's fine with his first loss. I know. Been waiting for it. Okay, so then elsewhere on the card, okay, yeah, so real quick, because we're going to talk more about the main event, but in the zero-hour match, do you think MJF and Cole take the ROH tag titles? No. Yay or nay? Absolutely not. There, There's going to be some sort of shenanigans, not necessarily like a hard split between them, but something that's going to build the intrigue into the main event. They've got to have a plan here. And it's not them carrying the ring of honor tag team championships into the main event of the biggest wrestling show of all time. I've been waffling back and forth on this for a week because you both are in the opposite sides of the fence. I, I am going to go Aussie open as, as well. I'm just not 100% sure how they're going to pull this off and what sort of shenanigans are going to take place 
for them to lose. MJF and Cole, it is. Yeah, I'm not like certain on it or anything, but I lean towards Cole and MJF winning them just because to me, now it depends how they book it. Justin's totally right. You know, if they come up with some shenanigan way for them to lose and they keep them strong, which they have to do, obviously, I, I think that would be fine. You know, uh, the kingdom guys come out or something like that happens. That's probably how it would go down. I, I don't know. I just keep coming back to anyone tuning in that doesn't really watch the week to week for the free pre-show. If they see these guys who are in the main event on this $50 show lose to two guys they've never heard of, I just feel like that's just kind of a weird look. So it depends how they book it and lay it out. I think I'm going to stick with Cole and MJF winning them, but I'm not, I'm definitely far from certain on this. So. I'm in your camp on that for sure, Ryan. I think it's like a 60, 40 who would, who's going to win this match. I, I, yeah, I'm going to stick with Aussie open though. Yeah. Uh, the other pre-show match is Jack Perry against Hook for the FTW Championship. Um, I don't have any deep thoughts on this match, certainly, but uh, pick a winner, Justin. Uh, I'll go Hook because I like him better. <laughs> yes. Jesse. I just want to see Hook more. He's yes. been he's only he's been around for two years, a little over now. Can we get a little more out of him? I mean, he kind of dropped the ball in this. He's very popular, and it seemed early yeah. like they're bringing him on slowly, which makes sense, you know. And then they brought him on so slowly they forgot about the guy, <laughs> you know. So I think I don't know. I think I'm going to pick him here. To be honest, I, I think I am going to pick Hook. It, it doesn't really make sense with how they've been trying to book Perry Strong and working with a legend like Rob Van Dam, but. I think I'll just put, I'll pick Hook. I figured they were going to retire the FTW championship, which by the way, that it's going to be taking place Saturday night on collision. So they haven't fully announced that yet, but Mm, yeah, yeah. I'm going to make it unanimous. I'm also going to go with Hook to regain his championship over Jungle Boy or excuse me, Jack Perry. All right. Elsewhere on the card, the women's title, Hikaru Shida defending in the fatal four way against Tony Storm. Soraya and Britt Baker. I'll go to Jesse first on this one. Who you got winning? It doesn't make any sense for Sheeta to lose her championship. To me, I get a feeling she is going to lose it, but I am going to stick with Hikaru Sheeta in this instance. Time to time to give her a little little bit of a run, and I'm actually I've been really intrigued with this new Tony Storm 1930s 40s character. I've I've right. actually I've really enjoyed that presentation. So it would be a little strange for her to regain the title like less than a month after she lost it. So and then with Britt and Soraya just being there, they really haven't concluded their feud. I mean, I, it has it started last year, but at the same time, they really didn't give a full conclusion to it so we'll see what uh, ventures from there i'll stick with sheeta to retain agree with everything jesse said sheeta next yeah i think sheeta retains and she works a singles match at all out with one of these ladies they probably set that up throughout the through the finish in this match but yeah it, w- it would not make sense for her to lose right here i i agree i want to see Britt get another run with the title but yeah sheeta having just won it too soon. Agree with you. Tony Storm has been tremendous. She is really entertaining in those promos and, and the different looks with her hair every week and everything. It's good stuff. Okay. Um, six man tag 
So Golden Elite taking on Takeshita and Bullet Club Gold. Thoughts here? Throw to Justin first. I, I really dislike the way they've utilized almost everybody in this match, which kind of taints the way I, I look at it. It, it just sucks because I, I honestly I don't care. I don't care who wins. I think it would be more prosperous going forward if Bullet Club Gold won. I think mm-hmm. that make for a more interesting story but to have kenny omega and hangman lose in the biggest show in company history would be really fucking weird so i guess that's your intrigue and that's i don't think that's a good way to build intrigue uh i guess i will go golden elite yeah this is interesting because you know if they're gonna do kenny and keshta at all out traditionally Kenny would lose here and want some revenge, right? Like his team would lose and then he wants, he wants his shot at Takesha or something screwy has to happen or they win and he gets beat he down. He just after. got the upper hand on Takesha on dynamite. I <laughs> yeah, I know. I just, I don't know how you do this. Yeah. It would be weird for golden elite to lose this match in front of this crowd. For that reason, I think I got to go with them. Um, but they got to do something to set up that match a week later. Cause these shows are so tight. So what do you think, Jesse? Yeah, I actually think they're going to pull a fast one in Chicago. And I think if it does end up being Kenny versus Takeshita, that Takeshita is going to shock the world and beat him. I Yeah, I think just to be a very fa- uh, fan-friendly experience, I think the, the Golden Elite have to go over here, especially with, I'm sure there's a handful of them in there that are disappointed that Kenny Omega is not getting a singles match too. But mm-hmm. can't have everything For you want. For sure. For sure. All right. How do you guys feel about the stadium stampede match? Like, what is your anticipation for this? Because for me, of all of the stadium stampede and anarchy in the arena matches, this is like by far my least anticipated. Um, Blackpool Combat Club, it's just, it sucked with Brian out. If Brian was around, I probably wouldn't be so out on them. But lately, it's just, it's been very stale. Mox had been stale, although I will say his match was phenomenal on Dynamite with Ray Phoenix. That was a great match. Um, really good way to uh, to write Phoenix off here from the match with the uh, the angle that they did. Uh, the uh, Avalanche DDT out of the corner in that match last night was crazy. Um, Kingston has been good. I will say Kingston's promo backstage as they took Ray Phoenix off in the ambulance with Renee, and she's like, He's like, are you kidding me asking me? You know, did you see what your husband just did out there? Kingston was really good. Um, so he's doing his best to, to build this. I just, I still, I just don't buy the best friends in this role. They're just not on the same level to be in this match. That's the big problem I have with this. Um, Cassidy obviously belongs. Uh, so does Penta. Man, you know, the uh, it's good to see Santana and Ortiz back together, but I'm still just not, I'm not really looking forward to this one that much. I saw you guys nodding. It seems like you agree. Uh, what do you think, Jesse? Yes, it, it was really odd to, for that to be thrown in. And then they're like, go choose partners of your own. Like, do it, yeah. please. And finally, they just explain it a handful of days beforehand, which I think they had to do in this case. And I've, I'm a huge Santana and Ortiz guy, so I'm very happy that they're back. And it makes sense to align them with the BCC because they were in blood and guts with them last year. Mm-hmm. 
So that part makes sense. And Eddie Kingston, hello. Yes, I've been shouting from the mountaintops to get this guy. Get this guy a reasonable push because he can talk. He can do everything. He's, again, eliciting all the, all the characteristics that a certain uh, Terry Funk had throughout his, his career. And he alluded to him as the greatest wrestler of all time. Wanted to follow in, in his footsteps. Him and Kawada are the biggest reasons why he, he is performing. So, yes, I'm going to go with... It has to be the Blackpool Combat Club, Santana and Ortiz. I think only because, again, the, the best friends, no one's been excited about them since, it's probably, say, the pandemic started. Yes. They had a great sure. match, they, but they lost their opportunity, their tag title match. I think it was Omega and Paige at the time. People were arguing that the best friends should actually get them because of how well they had been working. I agreed at that time. They had a great match with Santana and Ortiz in the backlot parking brawl. But other than that, the last couple of years, they've been irrelevant outside of a pretty good Trent singles match here and there. Like Chuck's just kind of off in the beaten path. So BCC. Mm-hmm. Justin. Yeah. The intrigue for me on this match is basically what's going to come out of it. Uh, because of a lot of the points you guys have brought up, but it's Kingston, Cassidy, Moxley, Claudio. It feels like we're heading to a Claudio and Kingston final battle ring of honor where Kingston can finally get the world championship, but just feels like kind of deserves more than that. And what we really want is Kingston and Moxley flip side of that is it feels like they're kind of building towards Moxley Cassidy a little bit with the best friends, but most importantly, this is not stadium stampede. This is anarchy in the arena. That's what this match is going to be because it's, you know, they're not going to be able to do all the, the, you know, lockdown stuff, the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) It's not going to be a stadium stampede. Uh, I will go. I'll go Blackpool Combat Club because you don't want Santana Ortiz losing on their first match back. Yeah, I'll make it three for three. Blackpool Combat Club as well. I think you guys covered it pretty well. So let's roll on to uh, House of Black. Defending against Billy Gunn and the acclaimed for the AEW trios titles. Uh, talk briefly mentioned this earlier when we were talking about the trios title scene and everything. Um, badass Billy Gunn is back, you guys. I guess that's better than Rockabilly. But yes, the badass Billy Gunn is back. And uh, I saw somewhere, this might have been on social media, that AEW is trying to get the rights to use the ass man theme. <laughs> we'll why see. don't spend uh, money on that for fuck's sakes come on <laughs> i do not remember where i saw this I, I did see this somewhere so we'll this see this country <laughs> spent money on worse things justin <laughs> the crowd i mean it would be pretty funny <laughs> it would be to do it one time at least God. um or one half of the smoking guns <laughs> Bring back the smoking guns theme song. There you go. Um, That's a good play out. Yeah. I mean, I just Billy Gunn. I mean, yeah, it was fine how they did this retirement angle with him, and then he's coming back. 
the crowd will pop big if they win the trios titles. I just don't really want to see House of Black drop them right now, though. They're doing good stuff. So, I mean, if the, they do it, it's just for the pop. I don't well, know, man. Justin, go ahead. I agree with you. I, I'm not really ready to see House of Black drop the titles yet. feels like they, they're finally, you know, they've been holding the titles for how long now? And they, they finally got some momentum behind them. Uh, clean shaven Malachi Black looks pretty good. The problem is, like, you know, we all predicted the Bucks to win the tag titles, and I don't see them losing it within the next four to five months. What are you gonna do with the acclaimed if they don't win these? Fair point, yeah. So you're going with them the title change then, huh? Yes, I am. All right. Jesse? It would be odd to have Billy Gunn off TV for five or six weeks, bring him back for a week, and then have him lose again. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That'd be super odd to me. I think I kind of tipped the hand there. Yeah, the acclaimed and Billy Gunn are going to win the Trios championships as well. Very curious to see where they go with House of Black. If there's another rematch between the two, maybe it all out, depending on how this is won. But uh, by the way, shout out to Buddy Matthews for your engagement to Rhea Ripley as well. Yes. (sighs) <sighs> poor Dom. Poor Dom. <laughs> Guess she's gonna she's gonna start sneaking in his name on her cheek on uh, Monday Night Raw. We'll see. No more dirty Dom. Just buddy right across there. <laughs> um yeah, I'm gonna I'll make it three for three. I again like everything with the way it has been built up would tell you this is a title change. Just the classic booking sense of it. I just just don't really want to see them drop them here but yeah it, everything all the writing on the wall tells me they are going to drop the titles to the eclipse so i'll go title change as well uh cm punk defending the quote real world championship against samoa joe seen a lot of criticism of this now i'm looking forward to the match i don't think the build to this has been as bad as some people have made it out to be yes punk did just beat him a few weeks back that's part of the story I mean, uh, he beat him. Joe's pissed. He wants the other match. You know, he's he asked him for weeks to get the other match. He's he's calling him out. Um, I did like the angle they did on Collision. Other than yes, uh, the go to sleep did not look great, but I, I like Punk dressing up and pretending to be the jobber and then attacking him. I thought that that was fine to set this all up. And he dropped the uh, I accept bitch or whatever it was he said. Did, um, did you yeah. buy that that was an? homage to the conquistadors for like for oh yeah i didn't hear that i i saw that online Mm. maybe punk trying to rope in adam copeland a little bit ah yeah forgot about that too he also snuck into a house show in milwaukee back in 2018 with that same like that similar mask oh yes That's right. That. I remember that getting out there online. Middle of the yeah. retirement. Yeah, it was like mm. 2017 or 18. Yeah. Let's try to find a screen. I know. I'm with that. you, Ryan. I love that segment except for the GTS. Yeah. So I don't think the bill has been as bad. I've, I've also seen criticism of the fact that AEW is promoting this as the real world. Ch- but they're putting it in quotes. Mm-hmm. You know, so even like the promotions acknowledging it's the real world. Ch- they're not calling it a legitimate title but you have to advertise that as such i don't have a problem with that at all 
Um, that being said, not, there's no way Punk loses. Go ahead. Let's not acknowledge the nerds who complain about those kind of things. I mean, that's ridiculous complaining. Yeah. You know, in, in my view. Um, that's soft. <laughs> I think it's interesting because, you know, eventually the two champions have to come together. Punk has. Exactly. If, if this was If this was a real sport, of course he's the real world champion. He never lost it. You know, like in boxing, MMA, when they have these interim champions and stuff, that's the whole point is like the other guy comes back. They're the real champion. Right. And like Punk never lost it. So it is legitimate. It's not like they just came up with this out of nowhere and it makes no sense. It makes a total sense. And so I don't have any problem with it. I think it's fine to promote the match as being for that title in quotes. And uh, eventually you get the big match with Punk and probably MJF. That's the match they need to do. So, yeah, fingers crossed, Justin says. So that said, there's no way Punk can lose here. You can't have Samoa Joe win the uh, real world championship and not get Punk in the unification match. So I think Punk has to win. CM Punk all the way. Yeah. What do you think, Jesse? I really like both these guys. But, yes, I'm going to go CM Punk. I'll save my spiel for later on CM Punk and where where they go with him after this. Okay. Well, that just leaves the main event then. I believe we've covered everything else on the show. And so MJF and Cole, we did talk quite a bit about this one last week. So I guess we can see if anyone's opinions changed. Um, I mean, when it comes down to the heel face dynamic, the winner of this match, I still agree with Jesse and Justin that Cole needs to be the one to turn heel. I think that's the strongest way to come out of this. I think when Cole turns for it to be effective, he needs to win the title. Uh, I don't think it happens at this show. I see more and more people picking it to happen at the show. I, I don't think so. Uh, I'm not really sure. I haven't decided for sure. I know last week I kind of laid out a scenario and you go back and listen to that show in the archives where they get to full gear and have a rematch. I just feel like, and I mean, especially if they win those ROH tag titles, they got more juice left in the tag team. And uh, I don't think they're ready to stop right now. Selling a lot of merch. The crowd's really responding to them. It's going to be an effective turn when it happens. But I think they need to draw it out a little bit longer. Uh, So I'm just going to pick MJF to retain. Will there be some kind of distraction, perhaps, for him to retain? Um, I hope they don't make this an NXT Adam Cole match and go 45, 50 minutes. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I will definitely, I am picking MJF in this, Jesse. Yeah, I'm going MJF as well, and I'm very curious to see if they do pull the switcheroo, the heel turn after the match. It's the only way this is going to happen. I'll ask you both this question, get it out of the way right now. CM Punk, if this happens, if we think he's going to beat Joe. If MJF retains... Is it too soon to do an MJF Punk matched all out? Granted, we'll be there. Or are you in favor of the quick turnaround? I know this is kind of like being selfish. Yeah, yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think they should totally do that. Why wouldn't they? I think that's a fantastic idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's where's way too this, early. Where's the build? Where's the story? <laughs> yeah, oh, me having, since I'm going to be there with you guys, I'd love to see the match. I mean, they set it, they were setting up the initial match at the end of last year's show. You know, when MJF came out on the stage and they had a confrontation and they never had the match at full gear as was in initially scheduled. Um, yeah, selfishly, I'd like to see it. But you're going to tell me we would miss out on weeks of promos with these guys. I mean, 
can you really do that with one week of TV? It would pop the buy rate for that show, I guess. I think creatively, I'd like to see it happen a little more down the line. I guess I wouldn't be stunned if they did it just because I do think it is going to be such a tough deal to get people to turn around and spend 50 bucks again a week later unless they do something really strong because this is the show everyone wants to watch because of the crowd and Wembley and everything. And it sounds like they got a great number coming in already. I think Andrew Zarian, our friend from Mad Men, which also shout out to him. He was going through some stuff um, Mm -hmm. with his family and that turned out to be a lot, you know, turned out to be okay. There was some fear going on and I just want to give a shout out to Andrew because we were thinking about him the last few weeks. Um, but he reported 90,000 advance buys, which is a very strong number for advance buys. Cause you know, a lot of people just buy it the day of the show. And so it looks like they're going to do a big number for all in. I think their all time record is 205,000, something like that for all out 21. I don't know if they'll beat that or not, but man, if you do this strong number with people shelling off 50 bucks, it's going to be tough. The next week they got, they got their work cut out for them on dynamite next week. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, it'd be selfish for me to want to see it. I think, I think they got to wait a little bit longer. You're not in Jesse too. I think they do. However, what do you do for a main event at all out? Maybe I'm setting up Justin here for this one because yeah. How do you, how do you justify turning around 50 more dollars to see MJF wrestle anyone other than punk? It, Mm -hmm. and that's the thing. This is all connected. Because it's so close. Biggest show in company history. One of the biggest shows in pro wrestling history is, is going to happen this upcoming Sunday. If you're Tony Khan, you do you want to send the crowd home happy? You want to end on a happy note on this show? Yay or nay? 100%. Yes. So how do you do that? Do you think the crowd is behind Adam Cole enough for him to be the baby face or do you have to go MJF and does, and does a Cole heel turn do anything for the crowd? Like, don't you think that would piss them off that MJF lost the title? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of conundrum. Cause like MJF just wins. Yeah. Kind of a boring outcome. Uh, Adam Cole turns heel on MJF. Not what the fans want. What What do we want? What do we want out of this main event? And, and uh, do we do we want to see MJF turn on a friend for the fourth or fifth time? Is that interesting? No, he's been so endearing as a baby face these last couple of months or in attempt to turn baby face that he's convinced the audience that it's about time. And the promo last night was great where he's just like, Oh, this is the one guy who's actually made me want to change, which could be the sweetest little, I'm being a chameleon. I'm going to stay heel, but not now, please. No, 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 no. We're, we're ready to buy you as a, as a face for a little while. You can do something dastardly later, later on to turn heel. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think probably MJF retaining and then Punk coming out and you do the face-to-face right there in front of Wembley yes. to set up all out is what you got to do then. Isn't that the best outcome? If you're if, yeah. if you're trying to send this crowd home happy and build to your next pay-per-view, 
that's what you do. It, it's, it, might, it's, it is a, a shit payoff for, for what they've been building with MJF and Cole. But mm-hmm. I think that's what they got to do. You know, maybe you're influenced by that voice in your head saying, I'm going to be in the United Center. I'm going to be in the United Center. But first, time I ever. think, yeah, I think, I think you've sold me. I think that is probably thinking of it from that perspective. Best way to go off the air and build a pay-per-view the next weekend. That does more than anything else that they could do for sure. And, and gives, gives the crowd a buzz coming out. And I, I've seen people clamoring for don't end this MJF and Cole thing right now. Keep that right. going. Mm-hmm. So how about at all out? Cole costs punk to MJF. So MJF can walk out as the true world champion. Then you you go right into a, a punk and Cole feud. And, and you can hold off on Cole and MJF all that much longer. Can Are you, you on the writing team right now? Because <laughs> that is very good. Maybe you should be on the writing team because that is... That is probably the best way to go about it, Justin. Uh, if it were anywhere but Chicago, can you now? I, well, you should be able to pretty easily spin it around to where once they get out of All Out, that Punk could be the heel in this scenario. Cole and MJ for the baby faces. Yeah, I mean, if Cole costs Punk, Cole's going to get the shit boot out of him in Chicago for that. Oh, big time. Yeah. Which isn't that exactly what you would want? Yeah, because it wouldn't happen anywhere else. And you know, they'd probably cheer it outside of Chicago based on the reactions Punk is getting right now. But I mean, I think Cole would still be getting the babyface reactions with MJF, even coming out of that show ending that way elsewhere. So it wouldn't change his trajectory too much. Like I'm still being a babyface coming out of this and working with Punk. Chicago crowds are starting to turn into Canadian crowds where they're just going to cheer their own and then everywhere else their own is going to get booed. It's starting. Oh, just wait until Justin Fields lights up the NFL this year. See that play out (laughs) in the NFL. Oh no! There you go. (laughs) Hey, you guys are going to be tied together pretty soon. What if the Vikings trade for Trey Lance? I saw something on that. Uh, Vikings want to trade for a third stringer. Interesting. (laughs) I mean, we don't know what this guy is yet. It's been done in the past. He's also a Minnesota native, Rochester's Mm -hmm. own Trey Lance. Oh, I did not know that. Yes, was not recruited much by the University of Minnesota, so he went to North Dakota State, who arguably has a better football program, and helped them one of their plethora of of championships, I swear, before, I think it was like 2004 till about 2022, they were in every 1AA championship, and now they move up to the next division. Their main challenger is always Northern Iowa. Yeah, a lot of years. The Bison are legit. Yeah, so not to get us too off the rails there, but I had to draw on the sports (laughs) a little bit. Uh, yeah, Justin, I like that scenario you played out a lot, actually, because it does build all out and make it like a must-see show. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I agree. Then you get more juice out of MJF and Cole, extend that, do that match down the line, like maybe at a full gear, like I said last week. I like it. I like it. I'm intrigued. We'll see what they do. What else God, are they going to do for us? Yeah. I mean, they got to they gotta throw us a bone. It's a United Center. It's Chicago. It's all out. Go set this thing up already. What do we have? What do we have? Oh, no. Ship him to Wembley. (laughs) What do we have? Two matches announced for All Out right now? Yes. Yes. Mm. I got to pick it up. Can't wait for that Miro-Hobbs match to main event. 
<laughs> oh boy. Well, you you will have had so many beers by that point in time, you won't care, Jesse. Justin will just be feeding them to you at that point. You want another zombie dust, Jesse? I'll go grab them. <laughs> done and done. All right. This has been fun. We got a lot in. We talked modern wrestling. We talked about some of the greats of wrestling. And uh, yeah, this was good. This is this is what I needed tonight, fellas, after a rough couple of days. I appreciate everyone who tuned in live or on demand. If you're listening on demand, check out the live feed sometime. But we appreciate all your support, whether you, whether you are here or listening on Friday or this weekend. We appreciate, we also, of course, appreciate all of our wonderful patrons. Uh, shout out to Dan, who just rejoined the Patreon page today. He's been a, a patron in the past. Really appreciate that. Thank you, Dan. And uh, Jesse dropped uh, Top Rope Nation Unplugged, his first yeah. episode. Yeah. This week, it was very good. He's got another one coming next week. So that's bonus content for you on Patreon. We got Top Rope Nation Classics coming next week on SummerSlam 98. Tons of reasons to sign up for the Patreon page. Uh, go ahead and go over to patreon.com slash Nation. Get your seven-day free trial and get full access right away to over 100 bonus podcasts. Greatly appreciate your support. Best way to support us. If you want to support us for free, subscribe to us on YouTube, Top Rope Nation, or the SE Scoops YouTube channel. Give SEScoops.com a view. Lots of great news and feature pieces going up on there. Every day, we got all your AEW all-in and then later all-out coverage for you. And as we've been saying, join the Facebook group. Jesse, where can listeners find you on social media? Jesse C. Velasquez on Twitter, and you're going to love this. TRN Unplugged yes, on Twitter. Indeed. I want to give a shout-out real fast to Sean, David Jenkinson, and everybody in the chat tonight. Thank you very much for being active. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it, it helps us out tremendously to not only feed off of each other, but to feed off of you guys as well. So we appreciate you. Justin, social media. Can I find now. Where can I find now? Add Justin something? I'm, fuck, I don't know. You got to get on threads. They have a web browser version now. I know, right? I just, when I, when I get on social media, I'm either looking at people's wrestling takes, of which case I am not retweeting or liking. The only retweets or likes you're going to get from me is if it's Tottenham related. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I'm an Ainge guy. Hey, if you need a Blue Sky invite, I got plenty of those now banked, so you can get a Blue Sky too. I, I will say overall, since Twitter has started to go downhill big time, I'm on social media a lot less now than I was maybe three or four months ago. So that's probably good for my mental yeah. health. Uh, exactly. But I, I do like Blue Sky a lot, and I like threads. And you can find me on all of those at Ryan Drosty. That's D-R-O-S-T-E, Instagram, same handle as well. All right, episode 306 in the books, guys. Looking forward to seeing y'all next week and seeing Justin this weekend. He'll be watching All In With Me on Sunday. Should be a good time. Yeah, all the love in the world to the families of Terry Funk and uh, Wyndham Rotunda. Uh, Just fucking thank you guys for everything you gave to us in professional wrestling. Absolutely. Well said. Jesse, any parting words? Echo those sentiments and as well as we'll give shout outs to Zach Hador and Frank Pettiani of PW Torch and former now with Brass Ring fame and SE Scoops fame. Zach, uh, you're yes. doing all kinds of things now. So I see Sean in the chat. Love it. Shouting them out. 
Yeah, check out uh, the SE Scoops podcast, also found here on the SE Scoops YouTube channel. We got all kinds of interviews, too, going up um, lately. Mike, our fearless leader over at SE Scoops, uh, he attended SummerSlam. He filmed all kinds of content there with some WWE stars. Going to be filming at StarCast next weekend as well. So good exclusive content along with your podcasts. All right, everybody. This has been episode 306 of Top Rope Nation. We will talk to you all again Monday, where we do the all in post show. We got one person confirmed for that show, Carl Longhan, who is going to attend all in, will be with us Monday afternoon, US time, to recount the show and talk about his experience there. We might have another person who also will be at the show. We'll see. I'm waiting on a final answer from him. It comes down to his transportation, but he is going to be giving me that answer soon. So there'll be three or four of us on that show Monday afternoon. So we will talk to you then. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Stay safe out there, and we'll see you all next time. Run. <laughs>